So like, and that, that's exponential, all right, as healthcare improves and, you know, social provision improves and all that kind of thing. So, so the whole thing is go just going to gallop off now at a, at a pace, all these gaps and all these numbers, okay? Uh, the number of people um, projected to be over 65 um, it w will rise from 570,000, which is where it is pretty much at the moment, um, to 855,000 um, in 10 years. Okay, we can't afford the pensions we currently are paying. So you can, there's an inexorable <coughs> conclusion here. It's just no government wants to bite the bullet on it straight away. And one of the things the Pension Council has been asked to do, of which I'm a member, is to advise government about what they should do. The answers don't take more than one meeting. It's just about seeing will they actually do them, okay? Uh, and you either have to engage in it or, or hope it all goes away and the next government will handle it. They're, they're the choices really. So you push out the pension age, you reduce the benefits. Uh, and by the way, it's, it's of interest to note, it won't feel like this for anybody in retirement, but it's of interest to note is that Irish pensioners suffer the lowest levels of poverty across Europe. Our state pension is the third highest in Europe. Okay, so pensioners in Ireland do very, very well relative to their European counterparts. That's why this isn't sustainable. Okay, the non-contrib pension. Now, I'm starting from the lowest up to the best, okay? So the non-contrib pension is what's normally called the old age pension, all right? So these are for people who <coughs> really probably maybe didn't work throughout their lifetime in a meaningful capacity or didn't work in a company where pensions were made available. So they're retiring on nothing. They leave work and they have nothing, all right? And this pension is to, is to avoid them going into poverty, Okay, you know, it doesn't always do that, but that's its aim. So these are for people who maybe are moving from one social welfare system to another. They're moving from unemployment benefit and then they hit 66 and they move on to this scheme. They suffer no net loss as a result. In fact, they gain. All right, so if you've been unemployed for your whole life and then you retire, you're going to do better than you did in life. All right, so, um, but for a lot of people, this would be people who came out of a job, took a huge drop in income, they've no pension, and they apply to the state for support and assistance. That's what this is, okay? The state pension at the, mo no, at the moment, the non-contrib, uh, amounts to €219 a week, all right? Now, they've just got an extra three quid uh, a week in the budget, so that's about to revise from next year, all right? And if you've what's called qualifying adult, it does a very... Oh, like most social protection systems, they're archaic and they're, they've been around for decades and decades and decades without fundamentally changing. So they've all these clauses and rules within them that don't treat people, to me, as individuals. So they call, the, they call a spouse a qualifying adult instead of like giving out pensions to everybody in their own name, you know, the, you know that kind of way, so I don't like that. But if you have somebody living with you who is dependent on your <coughs> pension, you can apply for an extra amount for that person, okay? The thing about the non-contrib pension is it's means-tested. So it's, it's not, not everybody's going to get it. You have to, it's like any social welfare benefit or social protection benefit. You have to apply and hit the means for it. Now, for pension terms, means is anything over 200 euros a week from any source. So if you're earning that from, say, a small scuttery pension, or for instance, you have rental income, or you have assets that are getting you interest, anything at all, the department adds all that up and they'll deduct euro for euro over that. So if you're earning 300 euros a week from other sources, instead of giving you 219, they'll give you 119. Do you 
see what I mean? So there are some deductions that are allowed. So they'll give you some assets. They'll allow you to keep your family home, for instance. So they're not going to say you have to sell that or rent it out or anything like that. But, but they will take into account, for instance, um, I know that um, some pensioners have been caught by the fact they have maybe a son or daughter living at home and contributing to the household. They'll take that into account. Okay, so if you're getting 100 quid a week or you know, 25 quid a week off your son up in the back bedroom, that gets deducted off your means. Um, so you have to kind of be, um, they, they can be quite strict on it, you know. And as taxpayers, you would want that, but at the same time, th there are a lot of people maybe left uh, not in a good position with that, okay? Um, so some, some allowances are made, uh, but the rules are very, very strict on it, and, and they will means test them very, very tightly, okay? And it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing kind of thing. I'm throwing up this last line because there is a view abroad for whatever reason that state pensions aren't taxed and they are now I don't know why this view has pervaded but it has and there's this sense that because it comes from the Department of Social Welfare well it's a tax-free kind of an income like maybe unemployment benefit or something like that all income from any source is taxable all right now if that's all you're living on you're not going to hit the threshold to be taxed. So that's fine. But there was a case about, I don't know if you remember, about a year and a half ago, revenue, I don't know if they suddenly copped onto the fact, but they were doing a trawl. They, they go through audits of groups every so often, hairdressers and journalists and whatever, but they went through one of pensioners and they realised there was a whole bunch of pensioners getting the state pension, um, but weren't declaring it for tax purposes. And because they were receiving other pensions, um, they, were, they were being taxed and they did a, a two, two plus two exercise and found all these people, wrote out to them and said, by the way, you owe us four and a half thousand euros for your pension for the last eight years because you haven't paid tax on it. And they were, now the letters were absolutely appalling. Josephine Feely, the then head commissioner, was hauled in in front of a Oireachtas committee to say sorry. But, but the point was valid. The pensions are taxable. So if you earn over a certain amount from any source, at any stage in your life, you come under the same tax rules as everybody else. Okay, and I'm just saying that because some people actually think pensions are tax-free. They're not. Okay? Uh, but you can earn X amount without having to pay tax. Okay? Now, the contrib pension. So that's non-contrib. So you're really on your uppers to get that. Okay? That's a social welfare payment. This is not. Although it's paid by the Department of Social Welfare. This is a pension payable for anybody who has paid the pre-RSI stamps and enough of them throughout their working life. Whether, whether they're employed or self-employed. All right, so this is the contribution. You've paid for this pension. It's an insurance that you've paid throughout your working life. So th that would have been called stamps in the past, right? Your PRSI contributions. And this is anybody who's paid, made enough contributions can claim this. The level of contributions has been upped significantly in recent years. All right, so you do have to be wary um, that you have enough. Now, it's not means tested. You're entitled to it or you're not entitled to it, okay, depending on how much PRSI you've paid throughout your lifetime and it, ha, over how many years you've paid it, more importantly. Now, this is very important for, for hacks who have maybe worked in a company and had their PRSI deducted, then stopped working and maybe, you know, weren't paying PRSI, so it, it would come into play there. The pension itself amounts to 230 30 a week. Again, that's going to be upped by three quid next year. Uh, and there are qualifying adults, again, with stamps. At the moment, and this is new-ish, new 
you have to have paid at least 520 contributions over at least 10 years to qualify for it. Okay? Now that may seem straightforward in a career that spans 40 years, but with people dipping in and out of work and in and out of employment and going abroad and coming back, you know, it, it's possible <coughs> that that mightn't be hit, so it's worth knowing that there is a, a limit there. Um, it applies to self-employed uh, as well as employees because as self-employed people, we pay a lower rate of PRSI, but it goes towards that pension. All right, it doesn't go through towards, say, unemployment benefit, as we know, okay? But it does go towards a pension. So it's very important if you have an accountant that he is recording those payments so that when you reach 66 and you apply for the contributory pension that you're going to be recorded as having enough steps, okay? Uh, so, yeah, self-employed qualifications. Uh, and again, pensions are taxable um, and, and cumulative. So all your income is added together in retirement and your tax is assessed on all your income. There's no bit of it that is tax-free. All right, it's important to, to say that because I, I, I do know that, that there are a lot of retired people out there who just think they don't need to declare it. Okay, they, they really, really do. Okay, they'll come after you. Uh, okay, that's the country pension. Uh, now, so they're the two state things, as long as they last and don't hold your breath, especially young people in the audience, right? They, you can ignore all that because they won't be there when you're retiring. <laughs> I'm hoping to make it by the skin of my teeth myself. Um, uh, occupational schemes. So these are people who work as employees in a company, all right? Uh, and most of us at some stage in our career did this. Uh, and companies nowadays are obliged by law to make a pension scheme available, but they used to be, all right? So sometimes it was they didn't have to or you know maybe they didn't get you to take that box or you didn't make a contribution but it's w well worth going back over your cv and reminding yourself where you used to work and checking if there was a pension scheme either contributed to on your behalf or is more often the case with you out of your out of your salary a lot of people don't pay a lot of attention to this they join a company they're grateful to have a job they tick whatever boxes they're asked to tick and then they forget about it and they may forget indeed about the pension that went with it so it's a good thing to check there are two types of occupational pension schemes, all right? Um, and, and this, I suppose, is where the big news is at the moment in terms of pensions. Um, one is called, I don't know if you can see that there, it's called defined benefit schemes. Now, a defined benefit scheme is where you join a company and they say, at retirement, we are guaranteeing that you're going to retire on 50% of your salary or 70% of your salary, whatever amount is fixed. We guarantee that. No matter what happens, that's what you're going to get at the other end. Now, you either contribute to bits of that or you don't. The company is taking all of the risk there because if the fund isn't big enough or the company isn't successful enough, that's their problem. They have to throw extra money into that scheme to make sure you get paid as pensioners. It's a guarantee. Now, as you can imagine, certainly in the current environment of the last 10 years, that has been extraordinarily difficult for companies to match up to. Indeed, 70% of DB schemes are now in deficit. 70%, that's, that's like two quarters. And they are not going to be able to meet these contractual obligations. They're just not. Now, companies have a choice when that happens, and we've seen it with Waterford Crystal, who had a DB scheme. Aerolingus workers had a DB scheme. All state employees have a DB scheme, but because we pay it as taxpayers, they're out of the loop, they're looked after. 
all right? So I'm talking about private companies here who may or may not have been semi-states. The Pensions Authority has been working with companies over the last 10 years or so to try and get them to A, work out if they can afford this, B, put new rules in place to make sure that if you can't afford it, at least you tell us about it and we can come to an agreement. Or the third option, which is the most popular, is to move towards the other type of pension scheme where the employee takes the risk, and I'm going to, that's the defined contribution scheme. Okay. That change is happening now. All right, and, and most companies, most companies, I think, will be now forced. Well, they were forced to report last June about where they stood, and now they're going to be forced to make a decision about what to do with the pension scheme. They can close it down, okay? And if they don't have unions, that's what a lot of them will do. They can try and convert it into another type of pension scheme, which is happening, it happened in my own paper, NM. Okay, they, they move to totally different, or they reduce the benefits and say, well, we still provide the guarantee, but now they're at a much lower level. Okay, every single scheme is individual, so I can't say what they could or should or are doing. Every scheme has individual negotiations with revenue and with their unions and with their <coughs> pension providers. What is clear is that <coughs> nothing can happen without revenue approval. So the company can't arbitrarily say, this is what we're doing, stuff you. They have to have it agreed, signed off and approved. Okay, so that's a good thing. Not so in the UK, so that's a good thing. Um, however, it is the fact, whether we like it or not, is that those guarantees simply can't be maintained in most cases. All right. It may interest you to know that the, there's one scheme in Ireland which is overfunded, DB scheme, so it has more money than it needs to pay out pensions, and that's Anglo-Irish Bank. <laughs> <laughs> because that was the deal it did when it went into uh, <coughs> solvency. Just thought it through. <coughs> okay. So there's no guarantees on a DB scheme. No, sorry, there's full guarantees on a DB scheme, but if they close, pretty much all bets are off. All right. Now Joan Burton, as minister, one of her hobby horses during this time was to deal with the very, very um, unusual but, but prevalent cases where you had what's called a double insolvency. Now this is where the company goes into liquidation, and the pension scheme goes into liquidation. This is what happened in Waterford Crystal. Okay, it happened in um, uh, an aviation firm as well, uh, whose name escapes me, um, and a pharmaceutical firm. Okay, so, so the company goes bust and the scheme goes bust. Now in those cases, what was happening is pensioners weren't being paid, people coming up to a pension were losing everything, all right, and it was a big deal. So she's brought in new rules now that say if that looks like it's going to happen, the pension fund, what's left can be divvied out among everybody in the scheme. Up to, up to last year, what was happening is, pensioners always get all of the rights. Okay, so those in retirement, people receiving a pension, had 100% rights and guarantees over the pension fund. They got paid first. Everybody else didn't. And, and the problem with that is, now nobody's disputing the pensioners should get their pension, but the problem with it was, if you had a scheme that had 10 million in it, and the cost to pay all the pensioners was 10 million, every year, then the, somebody who was 58 was literally getting their pension completely wiped out. And that was just simply not fair. So what this new law allows is that some of that fund, the pensioners themselves take a hit. It's not equitable, it's not nice, nobody wants it, but there you go. Because what it meant was that those nearing retirement at least got some portion of the fund. And anybody under 35 could go swing. And that, that's the way, the way it is now. Okay? It's very unusual when that happens, but when it is, it makes 
the news, it's a big thing, you get marches and strikes and all that kind of thing, okay? Um, so hopefully that, that'll go some way. This will be a generational thing. It, you know, it's gonna take 50 years before all these schemes are worked through and all the new ones are in place. Um, and it's just unfortunate if you're nearing retirement in one of these schemes, all right? In a company, a far more common position is that the company goes bust, but the pension scheme is kept intact. And this is due to very, very strong rules that Ireland has on pension. In fact, we're way ahead of the UK here. Um, any of you old enough like me to remember H. Williams, you know the supermarket chain? When that went bust, there was a big hoo-ha over the pension scheme because it, was, it just got stuffed. And new laws were brought in around that time to protect pension schemes, like ring-fence the contributions that are made into them. And that's still in place. All right? So companies cannot go in and dip into those pension funds and use them to pay salaries or pay directors or buy buildings or anything like that. They're not allowed to do that. Okay? So money that's gone into a pension fund is generally ring-fenced for the pensioners. That's good. Okay? But what can happen is companies still go bust all the time. Uh, and there are rules now about how that pension money is divvied out and who gets what. Okay, in the UK, tough, the whole lot gets sent to the liquidator in, in a lot of cases, and that's really, really unfortunate for pensioners. Okay, uh, okay so that's that. Uh, the defined contribution scheme, now this is the one that most companies have, this is the one we're trying to get every other company to move towards, this is the sensible option, okay? And what that means is that benefits are based on whatever fund is accumulated during the lifetime of the employee. So you make a contribution to the pension fund, maybe 5 or 10% of your salary. The employer makes a contribution, 6, 10, 12% of your salary, and the whole lot goes into a big pot. And at retirement age, that pot is divvied up for each individual person so that they get a pension at the other end. Okay? Who's taking the risk? Well, the employee, to a large extent, because you're no guarantee. So you can't say, we guarantee it will be 30% of your salary or 50% of your salary. There are no guarantees applying to this. So you're relying on two things. One is the investment performance of that fund over that time. Uh, and secondly, is the work that the trustees do, the pension trustees, which every company is obliged to have, who make the decisions about where that money goes and how it is invested. Uh, again, because we have very strong pension laws in Ireland, there are strict rules that trustees have to follow. They can't just chuck the whole lot on the 338 down, right? They have to um, make sure that there's a certain amount in very safe securities like bonds, gilts, cash, and only a certain amount in equities which are stocks and shares. All right, so in that case, they're, they're quite strictured on it now. Having said all that, we've just been through a tumultuous 10 years where all investments got a hit, and pension funds no more than any other. So pension funds generally are down. What absolutely did not help that was the wholesale theft, and I know we had our previous speaker not talking about libeling anybody, the wholesale theft of pension funds by Michael Newman, who imposed a levy on private pension funds, which saw him take two and a half billion euros out of them, just like that, gone, okay, over the last three years. Just took it. And the reason that there was no outcry, believe me, I tried to write about this, and my kind of colleagues writing about economics and, and personal finance like I do, hundreds of times. And because nobody I won't say nobody understands pension, because pension, pension not foremost in your mind, and nor should they be, because you've all got a life. But like people don't think about pensions, they assume it's so far, so far in the distance, somebody else is looking after it, I'm sure it'll be fine, the state will look after me if this doesn't, that people don't engage with pensions. And as a result, when there was a wholesale theft of money 
by way of a levy out of pension funds, nobody batting an eyelid. Uh, no, so, so the result of it was that Michael Newton took all this money, okay, it was to fund the 9% VAT rate on the hotel industry. That's where it all went, create more jobs in hospitality. Uh, the levy's now finished, but there's absolutely no guarantee that wouldn't happen again. Happen once, it can happen again. Three years of a levy, money gone, all right? So pensions have been decimated, fund, pension funds have been decimated. His view at the time was, and I remember going to a press conference and asking him this question, uh, and his views was, uh, I can't really do his unique Limerick accent, <laughs> despite being a Ryan from Limerick. I'll give you the words and you do it. <laughs> so he more or less said, um, Asher, be grand, the funds will build up the money again. That's not what he said, more or less, that's what he said. So, uh, anyway, that's rant over, hobby horse over. Uh, defined contribution schemes, employee takes a risk, don't expect the government to back you up uh, and hope for the best. One thing that those DC schemes do offer, and it's very valuable, is what's called additional voluntary contributions. So this is where the employee isn't really putting in enough, or the company isn't really putting in enough. There's a bit of a pension there, it's not going to be great. And you can make your own contributions to it over and above what, what is being taken out of your salary. The good thing about this is that you get full tax relief on it. Okay, we're going to talk about tax in a minute, but it's a brilliant way of, of funding towards it. The second good thing about it is that while all, while all this money goes into an overall fund for the company, for all employees, your AVC is just yours. Okay, so it's completely ring-fenced for you. Nobody else can get that money at retirement, even if the scheme goes insolvent. Okay, it's yours. And that's why AVCs are a brilliant way of keeping your tax down and funding your pension. And if you're in a company scheme, everybody should do that. Uh, now, we're coming to the self-employed. Uh, this is me, um, and I suspect most freelance journalists. Um, I'll start off with the bottom line, which is that 50% of workers in Ireland have no pension at all, of any kind. They are going to be 100% reliant on the state when they retire. I don't know why this is the case, except to say that there is definitely a blind spot when we talk about pensions and pension planning. I mean, you can't talk to a 20 or 30-year-old about it anyway, because it's so far away, there's no question. Even at 40, they think, I should be grand, my mother lived till 83. That kind of thing, right? Um, but 50%, so these are 50% of workers, okay, who, who really need a pension because their income is going to collapse, uh, don't have a pension, all right? Uh, if you are not working in a company and you haven't been signed up for one, the only other way to do it is to take out a personal pension. And there's hundreds of them. So I'm going to lump them all together because they're all the same. All right, it doesn't matter what they're called or where they're with. It's like health insurance. You know, 400 plans, but they all do the same thing. Um, so personal pensions are usually taken out by self-employed people or people whose company doesn't provide a pension for them. Okay? Now, companies have to make a pension available. They don't have to contribute to it. Alright, so personal pension might be a preferred uh, opportunity, especially in partnerships or people working together uh, in small groups. You can make very generous <coughs> contributions to this. Now, most of us can't afford to make very generous contributions, but the law allows you to, uh, based on your age and your income. So the older you get, the more of your money you're allowed to put into a pension scheme. Okay, and they're really quite generous. They're, they're so generous that actually most, uh, most people couldn't afford it, like me. You know, if you're in your 40s, you can put 25% of your income into a, into a pension plan. I mean, which of us can afford that? But I'm just saying you can. And th so the benefits, it runs like a DC scheme, except it's all yours. The benefits depend on what the fund has accumulated at the other end. 
all right? So it's a, based on investment choice, what company you put it with, pension provider, what choices you make about how it should be invested, all that kind of thing. This is not DIY territory, okay? It really isn't. Get a broker. Get a pensions broker. I know about this stuff and I have a pensions broker. I wouldn't dream of doing it on my own. All right, that's the first piece of advice. Um, and then when you retire, you have an option to take a portion of it as a lump sum tax-free, and the rest of it has to be used by what's called an annuity, which is another name of a pensions for life. Okay, now annuities. In, in the UK uh, this year, David Cameron, coming up to election, made fundamental changes to UK pension funds and how they work. So what he did was, instead of having this situation, they too allowed you to take a lump sum and buy an annuity with the rest. They changed the laws to allow you to take out your whole pension fund. Okay? Now, you can immediately see the attractiveness of that in an election year and the danger for people who have to be minded from themselves. All right? Time will tell how it all works out, but it's, a, to me, an appalling decision. Nobody called for it here, by the way. <laughs> We're no lobby group saying, please, can we have it too? Because it was fundamentally seen as nuts. Um, but yet, that's the way it is. Okay, so you can take out your entire pension fund, go on a cruise, stay on it, switch away your money and come back and have nothing. Okay, Ireland, you're not allowed to do that. So for all its flaws, you are forced to buy a pension, which is a very good thing. Um, and the way that's bought is, it's through a pension provider. So you arrive at 65, or 60, whatever age you retire at, you say, right, I have my pension fund here, I've accumulated 100,000 in it, I want to go and buy a pension with that. And you give it to a pension company, now has an actuary, this is what actuaries do, who work out how long you're expected to live, how much you can get as a return on that, using very, very cautious assumptions, and then they pay you that every single year, and they guarantee to pay it for life. So if you live till 103, and they thought you'd live till 82, tough, they take the hit but it's a pooled system, so there will always be people who die at 67 who are expected to live till 83, okay? And that's how it works, so it's like an insurance pool, okay? Um, I, have my own, I worked with actuaries for years, did actuarial studies, I was very bad at them, um, and uh, I, sometimes people do say to me, like, what, what is an actuary? What do they do? How are they different from, from any other job, you know? Okay, tax relief. This applies to all pension schemes, company, self-employed, the whole lot. Um, tax relief is extraordinarily generous, okay, and this budget didn't touch it because my community knows better. Okay, they don't want people dependent on the state if they can help it, so they really urge people to get in, into pension schemes. They don't do it, but, but nevertheless the incentives are there. So on the way in, your, the money that you give to a pension provider, your premium, your, your pension contribution, is fully tax allowable at your marginal rate. Now what that means is the rate of tax you pay whether it's 40% or 20%. So higher earners can significantly reduce their tax bill by making a pensions contribution. Okay, it costs them half by the time PSI is taken into account. So if you put in a thousand euros, it costs you 520. Okay, I, there's I can't think of a bigger incentive. And still only 50% of people have any pension at all so it's it's massive and if you're just tipping over that 40 percent rate so if you're a, like you're really a 20 percent taxpayer you're earning maybe 36 37 thousand a year and you're just tipping over that a pension contribution can bring it back into the the lower net and it's well worth it okay and what it does mean is if you're only paying tax at 20 percent your tax relief is only 20 percent 
there's been a lot of argument over the years about whether that's equitable or not. You know, you know in your heart and soul it isn't, but they're not going to touch it. They're just, they're not doing anything. There was at all talk, and there's talk every year about standardising the tax rate, giving tax at 33% maybe. But they haven't done it. It's, they're just, they're not going to do it. Poor people don't vote. Okay, um, there's tax-free. When the money is in the pension fund, it grows in a tax-free manner. Now what that means is, it's invested in equities and gilts and cash and all kinds of things. The money that's made on that, there's no capital gains tax. Okay, so it's tax-free within the fund, which is really, really good. And the third thing is, at the other end, when you retire, you can take a tax-free lump sum. Now, the portion of that is very clearly defined. It's 25% if you're self-employed, and it's usually based on salary if you're employed. So it's like one and a half times your last salary, okay? Um, it's a fixed amount, and everything else becomes a pension, and, of course, is taxed in the normal manner as earned income. So but you can't beat the tax relief. There's no other scheme in Ireland... There's no, other, there's no other tax in Ireland that gives that much relief. Not on any other thing. Nursing <coughs> homes is possibly the only one I can think about. You get full tax relief on nursing home contributions. But, but pensions is, is far and away um, the best. Uh, annuities. Okay, so this is what you have to buy if you're retiring or a company must buy on your behalf. So this is the forced bit. This is to stop people splashing it all on world cruises and being left with nothing, okay? So they have to they have to take back somehow. An annuity is, as I said, an, like an insurance product. So the company goes along when you retire and they go, Pat, you have a hundred thousand euros in your fund, you're sixty-five, and they check this, you're a non-smoker, so you're gonna live longer. Non-smokers get lower annuity rates. They have to live longer. So it works the opposite to life insurance, right? Um, and you're expected to live to 76.2 or whatever the current stats are. Therefore, that 100,000 has to be invested in something dead safe to make sure you're going to get that return. And dead safe normally means cash or bonds. Anybody getting interest rates on their deposits at the moment? Okay, so it's 0% of zero. That's the problem. So annuity rates have fallen through the floor. Okay, now there was a time and this is where all the assumptions over pension schemes came from that turned out to be wildly optimistic. There was a time when annuity returns were comfortably 10% a year. And a lot of pension provision was calculated on that basis that that would continue. And that's partly why schemes went bust. Okay, because we've had a prolonged period of very, very low interest rates. Annuities are linked to interest rates or guilt rates, which are equally low. Um, and as such, that's not changing at any time in the future. You know, certainly not why Europe is in the doldrums. To buy an annuity, for annuity, say pension, of 10,000 euros a year. So that's less than the state pension, for instance. Okay? So just to buy that annuity for somebody aged 65, three years ago, cost 190,000. And this year, cost 241,000. The same annuity. So that, that alone shows you in three years where annuity rates have gone. Okay? That's not going to get better now. But look at the fund that you need. So when you get your pension benefit statement from a company and it says you've 190,000 in your fund, I mean, you'll throw a party. You'll be going out buying champagne. You'll think this is fantastic. But that's only going to buy you 10 grand a year, which on top of your state pension will be taxed. Okay? So it's really about. You can't win if you're not in kind of an argument, you know? And, and the earlier people make 
get that fund higher, the better off it is. At the moment, there's no alternative to that. I'm not sure there should be, because the alternative is long what Cameron did. I don't know what I don't know how you square that circle. You have to keep annuities safe and you have to keep them guaranteed for life and we are living longer. Okay, so unless somebody comes up with a better plan, that's the way pensions are done at the moment. Okay? Um, the, the upsetting thing is that most people plan for the twenty five percent tax free lump sum, but they get to retirement and they can't afford to take it because the annuity is so bad. Like if you've got a hundred thousand in your fund, and I mean you you know, a lot of people would be hard pressed even to have that after saving for 20 years, 30 years, if you've got 100,000 in your fund, you're going to get about oh, just under 6,000 a year. You know? Now, your, pen your lump sum might be 25,000 and then your pension goes to 4,000. What do you do? You know, it's, it's a really invidious choice and a lot of people get confused. They see these big numbers and they think that's brilliant and sorted. But they, they don't realise it actually has to buy this pension for life. Um, Okay, so that's what they have to be invested in. There's really strict rules about where annuities are invested. So you can't just rock up to your broker and say, actually, just stick it all in stocks and shares on the ground. Okay, they, they really are obliged by law to keep it very, very tight. I want to have a word about women in retirement because it's my specific brief on the council um, and it's also a big issue that I, I tend to write about. On average, women will get 40% less in retirement than men. That's across the EU and in Ireland it's even worse than that, it's 41%. Women will earn 41% less than men in retirement on average. That's a fact. That's an EU study, not just an Irish one. It does lead to loss of independence, economic freedom. Elder poverty, much more prevalent in women than men across the board. Women live longer, so they're going to be in poverty longer. And they're going to be earning less. Now, look, we know the reasons for this. A lot of women are dependent on their husband's pension. They took career breaks during their working life. They contributed less, they can be in lower paid jobs, all that contributes to it. So you're not going to fix it anytime soon. It's just a fact and it just means women need to engage more with pensions. I have spoken over the years to many, many women whose first engagement with pensions was in a court receiving a pension adjustment order in a divorce. It had never occurred to them that this mattered or that this was an asset or that this was a thing and they were so busy trying to hang on to the family home that they waived away their pension rights to their husband's pension on which they became dependent. And a pension adjustment order is a document which says upon divorce a spouse is entitled to a percentage of the other spouse's pension, the earner's pension. And very often men and their lawyers will attempt to get those rights waived in return for the family home. Now in a lot of cases you might think that's great, that's a win-win because she's getting the home but often the pension can be the bigger asset. And if he's been earning 40, 50, 60,000 a year throughout his working life, his pension fund's going to be bigger, more valuable than the, than the family home and she's just signed it off, okay? So women need to engage more with pensions, all right? I'm not blaming men for this, I'm blaming women. They don't engage and they don't ask questions and we need to do a lot more of that to make sure that the best way to avoid poverty in retirement is for women to have their own pensions not to struggle to be dependent on somebody else's, okay? Right. And including the state. Um, okay, so if you don't know what to do now, you're vaguely aware there is something to do with pensions and money's been taken out maybe sometime some year ago when you had a pension, is to find out. So my advice to anybody kind of going to this from a newbie, and you, you're all articulate journalists, so it's probably wasted on this audience, but generally speaking, I would say to people, and includes fa family and friends, is go back over your CV 
and work out every single place you've ever worked for longer than a year and then write to them and ask them is there a pension entitlement or benefit. Those companies may have closed, changed names, been reabsorbed into other companies. You need to find that out. Okay? There's no central unit that will do that for you in Ireland. Okay? So that's pity, but there isn't. So you have to go and find that out. Uh, get a broker to do it. You may have to pay them. I'm a big fan of fee-based brokers rather than commission-based brokers. Go find one, pay them some money, get them to do it. Um, go on to the Pensions Authority, which is the overseeing body for pension companies. Has a great little calculation on its front page, uh, pensionauthority.ie. And if you put in your salary, ish, now you can even do this as self-employed people, put in roughly what you earn every year, what age you want to retire, and whether or not you're entitled to a state pension, it'll come up with the gap. So it'll say, well, if you want to retire 50% of what you're currently earning, and at this age, you need to be putting in this every year, gross, net, and this will fund it. You need to be sitting down with a stiff gym when you do that, I'm just letting you know. But when you do, <laughs> the number will make you fall off your chair, but it might prod you into action uh, and to do something about it. Uh, companies are, by law, although I'll put that in quotations, obliged to send every single member of a pension scheme out what's called a benefit statement every year. I know dozens of them that don't bother. They can't be bothered. And nobody's chasing them for them. Okay? But you're entitled to receive it. And the pensions benefit statement will be one of those documents you get in the post and you will immediately, if you have this, you know most kitchens have a middle drawer that everything from bits of thread to buttons to school reports go in, that's where it'll go, right? And you forget about it. I encourage you just to read it because the laws have become much tighter now than what they have to give you. And they have to give you what's in your fund, that's the big fancy number that you'll go, great! They have to tell you how much of a pension that will buy and even when you see that you'll go, great! And now they have to give you how much that will buy in today's money. And that's when you fall off the chair. Okay? And that's a really good figure because that, that, that's the one that you kind of think, oh, I'm grand, fine, 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 until you see that number. And you realise all your pension contributions over the year give you a pension of about three grand a year. All right? And that should be the catalyst then to say, well, what am I going to do about this now? That's massive. That's ridiculous. I can't live on that. Okay? And, and the answer will be to, to fund pensions better or at least to get to know about it. Um, that's the end of the pensions kind of stuff, but Jared, you know, said if everybody literally hasn't fallen asleep by then, maybe you could talk about other things. Um, so, so unfortunately, you are punished into that. Um, I'm only going to mention them very, very briefly. This is stuff you should all know. I'm sure you do. Preaching to the converted, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I did meet a number of journalists recently who didn't know that once your earnings hit over 37,500, you're obliged to pay, charge and pay that. This isn't like an optional extra. You have to do this. Um, and I do know journalists who are earning above this amount who just didn't think, A, it, it mattered, or that revenue would care, or that, you know, it's not their money anyway, so why, why does it matter? You have to, because it's the law. So if you earn over 37,500 in any one year, you are obliged to charge VAT at 23% on all your invoices and remit it to revenue. It's not your money. You're just a tax collection agent of the state. An unpaid position, it has to be said. Um, there used to be a time journalists could collect quite a lot on this because they'd invest the money and get interest on it and only get back the net amount of revenue, but there was no interest anymore, so, so it doesn't matter. It's very hard getting unvatted. So for mm. journals who kind of think, well, I might earn 37,000 this year, but next year it might be 25,000. 
Um, I've done, I've done this exercise with a few people. It, it is very hard to get unvatted because the revenue are deeply suspicious of the fact now that you're not going to pay VAT and you had been paying VAT. So my top tip here really has to be to engage an accountant. Um, an accountant will cost you, if you do your own VAT returns, VAT returns are dead simple to do, by the way, because revenue really want this money. So you put in, journalists get no VAT back on anything. Pencils, printer ink, you know, paper. <laughs> to be honest with you, it's not really worth it. I do claim back all the VAT I can, but it's, it's very, very little. Um, so you're, you're making all these sales um, and, and you just remit the whole lot to them. Um, now, two things here. The first thing is, you will not lose business by charging VAT. Okay, I have never met, I, I've worked for dozens of publications. None of them have ever said to me yet, oh, if you're going to charge VAT, we're not going to commission you. Okay, now maybe others have had different experiences. I haven't, because they can write all that off. It should be immaterial to a newspaper whether or not you're charging VAT on your invoices. However, when it comes to broadcast media, I have not found that, I've found the opposite. So broadcast media used to allow you to charge your invoice with VAT. Now because the billing systems are all automatic, they pay you the fee and you're expected to fund your VAT out of it. That leaves journalists in a very, very invidious position and you have a choice to make about whether you want to continue contributing to that organisation or not. Okay, the only one currently that allows VAT invoices is UTV Ireland. That I'm aware of. What? RTE. Well, RTE, do, I have two contracts with RTE and neither of them are allowed. I don't have contracts. Absorbed. I just, I just nag people. Nag people. Well, you <laughs> nag people, what you do is you nag people for more money, which is what journalists should be doing anyway. Um, and, and you say, look, I have this VAT, I have these expenses, I have this, this, and I want a higher fee. That's what I've, that's what I've done. But they're not charging it as a separate line on an invoice. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <coughs> They're able to because they have been with me, but it took a long time for it to sink in. Yeah. They change it. They used to do it all of the time. You would invoice... It may be just that I got in the wire before it, they started. Maybe. I, I don't know. And as for radio stations... Forget <laughs> <laughs> it. So, VAT is important. It is payable, and you do owe it. And they will come after you. I was only speaking to a journalist um, about 10 days ago who didn't know this. It does earn over this amount, and it never occurred to her that she was liable for VAT. Now look, if revenue decides to do a trawl, which they do from time to time, they're absolutely going to pick that up. They'll charge you the VAT whether you've charged it or not. To be clear as well, you're saying earning over 37? It's not earnings, it's gross. It's gross, it's sorry, your, income, your, gross, your turnover. Your gross billings. Yeah. Okay. Because obviously you've taxed to come off this and everything, okay? Anyway, that's the cutoff. All right? If you have a company, uh, it's, it's 75,000. All right, for, for companies. So sometimes that figure gets confused because people say, oh, I don't have to charge VAT to 75,000. That's for an incorporated company. For an individual, a sole trader, it's for seven and a half. I'm, ju I'm just putting it out there because I didn't know, people didn't know that. Okay? Uh, so VAT returns, uh, do them yourself, dead simple. Don't bother spending money on an accountant to do them. I would definitely get an accountant to do your tax. I resisted it for years. I used to spend days poring over my tax and I was very competent about what I was doing. He was my best investment ever. He saves me money every single year. Not only does he pay for himself, he saves me money. All right, there's all kinds of things in the tax system that you can get relief on as a freelance journalist that you wouldn't be aware of. Um, for instance, my favorite one is revenue have this hidden list. 
on an Excel spreadsheet, they don't even have it on the webpage, on an Excel spreadsheet of what they call flat rate, flat rate workwear allowances. Okay? This is a thing now. There's like about 400 occupations on it. And one of them is journalist. And you can claim for workwear, so jackets, umbrellas, appearing on television, clothes that you might have to buy for yourself, and there's an expense that can be applied for, for loads of jobs, waitress, waitresses, nurses, mm. teachers. If you're a member of the RT Concert Orchestra, it's 2,200 euros a year. Um, it's, it's several hundred euros. You can claim it and you can backdate it for four years. Just saying, do it. Uh, it is there, I have to give it to you. Um, okay, so tax, so tax return, please get an accountant to your tax, even if you're only earning 25 grand a year, I promise you, they're gonna get the money back for you. It's really, really well worth it, okay? Um, so that's my, that's my word, um, on, on an, I'm not an accountant, so I'm not kind of plugging them, but they actually, a good one will do, will do that and more for you, you know, it's, it's well worth it, um, but, but I just do my own fat returns because I don't want, it's too easy not, you know, to pay them a chunk of money. <laughs> Other financial products, which I'm not going to go into now, but they should be across your radar, self-employed people, life insurance, very, very important to have if you've got you know, young children, or if you're the sole earner, your single parent, you know, something happens to you, it's very important that, uh, that your kids are looked after. Bear in mind, life assurance rates are one of the products which have dropped in price considerably over the last 10 or 12 years. If you have an, a life insurance policy that's more than 10 years old, change it. Okay, you're definitely overpaying. All right? Um, they really have come down in rates and get a broker to do that for you. Uh, serious illness cover. Now, this one is very important for self-employed people. Um, we talked about PRSI earlier and pensions and what it doesn't pay for. You're not going to get disability benefit. You know, you can't apply for it in the normal way as if you were a PAYE worker. Um, so as, as a result, um, if you go sick, you don't eat. Uh, you know, we've all been there. Okay, you have a prolonged period of illness or injury or sickness. Um, you're not going to get paid. And um, this is a product that pays out a lump sum if you suffer from a serious illness. Now, we're talking about something that would knock you out for months. Cancer, heart attack, stroke would be the three most common that would be paid out. Um, it's a tax-free benefit, and it just makes up your earnings, you know. So it's an important product. I would nearly buy this over life cover. I'm a single parent, I'm self-employed. This is the one I go for rather than the life of I'm dead. Somebody will pick up the pieces, I'm sure, but uh, if I'm sick, they can't. Uh, mortgages, uh, if anybody wants to talk to me about switching mortgages or changing mortgages in the mortgage market, maybe we can make that a different session, uh, and indeed personal. So my, my general mantra about financial products is, they can be boring, they are boring, they can be confusing, they are deliberately so, they're made deliberately confusing, um, and, and it's still important that you get on top of them and make sure that you're, you're not overspending, um, where you don't need to, because we don't earn a lot of money. Okay, that's me done. No, great. We've up to half an hour, but we don't have to do. I was surprised you said it was hard to unvat yourself because I unvatted myself yeah. recently. Good. Um, and it was as simple. There's a form called TCRN one which you download from Revenue and fill in and send off. My sense is they just they, they view it with suspicion. You know, they sense that probably you're you are earning. Well, my suspicion is that because I had spent the last year, every time I filed, I was claiming back rather than paying the money in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They finally realise, well, yeah, this guy's going to cost us money unless we mm -hmm. devat him. Yeah. Ah, that's fair enough. That's so, fair. 
that's my theory on it. But of course, some people, would, um, lush journalists would be happy to have a fat problem because it means they're earning over thirty seven. Oh no, I, I missed the days <laughs> when I paid lots of fat. Believe you me. And by but the way, I can I, the can I just say a point about that? If you are paying VAT, okay, and this is a tip that, that I do this myself, it's really important. Never forget it's not your money, okay? You're not Mick Wallace. You don't get the choice to not pay your VAT and still be elected to the toil, right? Um, uh, it's not your money. And the minute you start absorbing it into your current account or into your income, you, you really are starting to cause problems there for yourself. You all, if you all have online banking, just open up a separate account. It's free. Banks don't charge for deposit accounts. Open it up, and every single month, when you get your earnings in, take off the 23%, the back portion, before you look at it and put it in that account and remit that. I only remit that three times a year because, to be perfectly honest, it's too much of a bother for me in revenue to do it every month. Companies would have to do it every month. Some people can get even a better arrangement only twice a year or once a year. I have an agreement of three times a year with revenue, personal agreement. I remit my VAT every four months, and it comes straight out of that account Okay, if you absorb it into your own money, I know you, I, I've seen too many journalists do this. They end up going down to the credit union and borrowing because they've spent it all. Okay, it's a really it's bad idea. Yeah. It's like your tax. Now, the tax, uh, we pay tax once a year, of course, in October. The deadline's coming up now. Um, and again, throughout the year, I, I hive off that money where possible. So I have a whole range of accounts that I call VAT account, you know, my car loan account, my, my tax account. What I do with tax money, and this is a nice tip just for those of us that need discipline, okay, because sometimes we do have to discipline ourselves, is to buy prize bonds with them. You're not going to get any interest, but there's no interest anyway on deposit accounts. But it's a discipline because it takes three months to cash them in. So if you, if you, every month I have a direct debit that buys prize bonds with my tax money, and then every October I cash them all in and pay revenue. Now, they're out of sight, out of mind. I can't dip into them easily if the dishwasher breaks, okay? And also, you, you run the risk of winning something, right? <laughs> now, over the, year, over the years, I've returned about 2.5% on that. That's tax-free. So that's the equivalent of 4% in a bank, which isn't available. So they have been phenomenal for me. One million, maybe next month. Um, <laughs> the returns on, on, on prize bonds are crap, but they're crap in deposit accounts. So you're no worse off, and it gives you just that stuck in this fund discipline. That's just a way I like to do it. I, I don't like to spend other people's money, and revenue money is the one I least like to spend, because they'll come after me. With that. Mary? I'm wondering if you have any um, advice for people with disabilities, any of your financial advice that would pertain to that situation? I don't know that there's special financial advice I give to people with disabilities. I mean, apart from the obvious, which is if there are benefits available to you from the state, you should be claiming them. Um, I, I, it's not an area that I know a great deal about, to be perfectly honest, per se. But I wouldn't have thought the financial advice was any different. It will be harder to get life insurance. It will be definitely harder to get serious illness cover and mortgages. That goes without saying. It's unfair, but there you go. That's the fact of life. It's not any harder to get a pension. In fact, you may get an improved annuity rate if your life expectancy is lower, okay, because they're, they're divvied out individually. Um, I, I think the advice would be the same. Protect yourself financially shop around, make sure that you have the products that suit your needs at a particular time and make it organic. So don't feel, I bought a life insurance policy, that's it for the whole of my life. That'd be like going to the dentist once and hoping that you never have to go again. All financial products should be organic. I, I usually take out a day a year 
and I sit down and I review all my insurances, so my car insurance, house insurance, health insurance, I, and I change them. So loyalty counts for nothing anymore. There's no loyalty bonuses anymore. There used to be, but there isn't now. Um, and, and companies do change and do offer different products. So I'd advise people with disability to, to constantly check back and see are they I'm just thinking in terms of um, ability to work and you know discrimination in that area, you're more likely to be in and out of the yeah. workforce and Yeah, I, I I'm not sure I can yeah. I'm not, I'm not an expert, I can't contribute anything except that yes, you're right, that definitely exists. Um but I'm not aware of any specialist advice that I give people except where possible, save for the probability that that is more likely with somebody who has a disability than somebody who doesn't. But it can, you know, periods out of work can, can attack anybody. The homemaker scheme, yes. Um, this is a benefit. Now, it, it, they, they've made it very hard to get, it's not hard to get, but you have to be aware of it. So you're, you're somebody who has, is working in a PAYE job. You leave the workforce because you have children under 12. That's the purpose of you leaving. So you don't leave to go to college. Okay, you leave to mind children under 12. Um, you, as long as you apply for it within 12 months of leaving that job, you can get a disregard on your PRSI years. In other words, when you reach retirement, they're not gonna say, did you work 40 years? They're gonna say, did you work 20 years? Okay, so you can get up to 20 years disregarded on PRSI. You have to do it within 12 months. You have to do it within 12 months of leaving the workforce. It's pretty restrictive. I, to be honest, I've queried this with revenue. I don't know why it is restrictive like that. The answer seems to be because that's the way it was designed. And why just say? Um, in my case, there was a gap between leaving PAYE employment and getting into the scheme, finding out about it. And um, if you get into employable, if you get into employment which you're back in the top tax force and paying proper rate PRSI, then they will let you into the scheme. And it is until your youngest child is 12, so it's up to 20 years or until your or youngest until child. Exactly, because the, the children have to be under 12 for you to benefit from it. Once they go over 12, you're, you're not included in the scheme after that. Okay. I, I, I would be glad if revenue are doing individual. I, I prefer if it was just that was the way it was, rather than you haven't asked. Sorry, you had another question. Just two others. Yeah. Um, people who worked, say, in the UK or America, yeah. can they get pensions? Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, the UK, there's a treaty between the UK and Ireland, um, a government arrangement, and actually, the UK are way ahead of us on this. They have a government department, which is the Department of Pensions. Newcastle. It, yeah, which is set up separately to the department. It's part of their social welfare department, but it's set up separately. If you've ever worked in the UK, and I did this for somebody recently, if you've ever worked in the UK for any meaningful period, so say a year or more, in any capacity, and you send them your national insurance number, they will trawl for you and find out if there's any pensions that you're due. Okay, and remit them to you. It's fantastic. I'd love if we had something like that here. We don't. Um, I don't know about the US. Yes, of course, you're entitled to a pension if you worked there, but I, as long as the company provided one. But I don't know how you would find that out, and I suspect you'd probably have to go through the IRS in their case to find that out. I don't know. But in the British example, it's very, very straightforward. Um, I got a pension recently sorted for a man. He had been um, a chaplain to one of the army services uh, and it turned out that he was entitled to a pension quite you know not an inconsiderable amount 
um, and, and he had applied through this. Now, uh, just a word of warning on this. Because of this department that was set up in the last five years, a number of agencies have sprung up on the internet promising to do this work for you for a fee. Okay? The Department of Pensions does it for free. There's no need to go through a company, but nevertheless, no, oh, where there's a will, there's a way. These companies now exist, and they'll start trawling people, saying, well, for 500 euros, we can find out if you're due a pension from the UK. Okay? But you don't need to ever spend money with them. My last, my last question now uh, is people in defined benefit schemes, um, what happens, uh, say, people are on pension in the defined benefit scheme? What happens to them if the company goes bust? Well, pensions are held in a binding capacity in Ireland. So all pensions since the early 70s have been completely ring-fenced for pensioners. So the answer is probably nothing will happen to them. They will continue to get their pension unless it is expressly agreed with revenue that the pensioner will take a hit in retirement. And this is what I was talking about, the double insolvency, okay? So what they've said is, in a lot of cases, if you're already in retirement, that amount is set in stone. However, if the company goes into liquidation and the scheme goes in, into liquidation to protect those employees who are still there and older, there may be an instruction to reduce the pension of pensioners. Now that can be by up to I think it's 10%. It's somewhere but, um, it, I think it's 10% is the maximum that that can be reduced by, but, but I'm open to correction on that. So these are the new laws that have come in with this, but they're only just in, so they're still being worked through. So a company in a double insolvency situation, which is very rare, can now say to, to pensioners, your pension of 100 euros a week is now being made to 90 euros a week that it cannot be done arbitrarily thank you can I say something I, I was interested in what was said about the UK pensions um, I have one in fact um, one of the things that people who are shorter and are not yet 65 or the the ages are going up faster in the UK than they're going up here yes they're going up cruelly fast for women they're, 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 um, women aged 57, 58 yes. last year were told that they had to work an extra three years for their pension, Correct. which was a, a dreadful thing to do to them with that sort of short notice. Mm. But that's not my point. My point is that if you have short term of service in the UK, it can be very cost effective to pay to buy additional years. Very cost effective. Yes. The far cheaper than anything else you get. Well, the payback in my case was something over three years. All I had to do was live three years longer, and I got my money back. That's uh, I just mentioned that by by um, uh, uh, as a piece of information. Um, I I thought the, the the way you laid that out, the amount of work that was gone into it, the way it was structured, it was an astonishing piece of work. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any place where we can get the typical spend of a worker compared with someone on retirement? The reason I'm asking is that we had Michael Taft from the Unite. Yeah. We've heard, and as he said, it's far better if if the over 70s or even younger could get a medical card. Mm. It's probably a far better benefit 
not to have to pay huge moolah to the doctor. Yeah. Well, you're, get, like you're getting into a political realm now. Um, I, I don't know, well, the information that continues to surprise, I mean, the, there is a general foot of, uh, kind of view abroad, and I really think it has to be knocked in the head, and I, I'm astonished the government doesn't do more to do this. There is a view abroad that pensioners are poor. Okay, that, that is just a, a fairly much a given across Irish society. Pensioners are poor. Okay, they may certainly feel poor. Um, who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't? Exactly. And they're a vocal and articulate lobby group. They vote. Which no, they vote and they have time to march. And support. Children. And support. Yes. And nobody. Western Road Church. And no, yeah. no government wants to see them outside Leinster House. Okay, so for that reason, they get treated. They are they are minded, you know whether or not you put that down to the Labour government or not. They are they are minded more than other sections of society to a large extent. Okay, I'm not defending pensions. I'm just saying they are. There was a study only released two weeks ago, and I know this because I chaired the conference for it, uh, from McKinsey, which is a, a global worldwide um, uh, research mm-hmm. group. And the McKinsey report on pensions, which extensively and and very very carefully looked at the Irish market, among others, found that this is kind of an astonishing Okay? Think about that now. Now this is an empirical study, it's not an opinion. 65. 65% of people who retire in Ireland will not be worse off. However, it is exclusively at the bottom end of the demographic. So that's everybody on social welfare, everybody in low paid income, everybody up to around 40,000 euros a year will not be worse off in retirement, given all this stuff continues, which it won't, but given that, okay? However, the group earning between 40 and 70,000 a year, earning that in life, in career, will be worse off to such a marked degree that they will be instantly put into poverty. Even though these are people earning more, they're not contributing enough to pension schemes. Part of it is because they feel, I have a pension, that's enough. So they've ticked the box without actually checking out the numbers. Okay? These are people with pensions. They've done the right thing but they're going to be jumping off a cliff and they don't realise it. And at the very high level, anybody earning a lot more than that generally is doing so as an employee of a very, very well-funded and paid scheme. So they are looked after. So there's this gap of people in the middle, which constitutes what we euphemistically call the middle class, that are going to go off a cliff in retirement. But most pensioners will not. Nobody will believe that if government says it, so I'm just saying it to you. Yeah, yeah private companies said that most people put more effort into planning their annual holiday than yeah. they do into their pension too. And, and most companies put more store in health and safety announcements than they do into particularly pension, pension information. But I just wanted to thank what um, Kieran said to thank Sinead very much for an excellent talk because I did have an accountant before and I thought he was so disinterested for the little he was getting from me that we decided to do ourselves. I had no idea that you could claim. Um, 
work where that's oh, that's great. Yeah, so you saved me money coming here today. Thank you very much. <laughs> Smart jacket. Paid for by revenue. So to say, this life assurance plan shop around and re evaluate every few years. I've just changed mine, so I'm kind of conscious of that. But the one I went to used to be a revenue commissioner. No. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, look, there are some accountants. I, I, like, I would always go to an accountant. My accountant likes what he calls shoebox clients. Okay, not all of them do. So I'm not talking about KPMG. I'm talking about an accountant who says, give me your receipts, and you hand him very embarrassingly a shoebox with paper stuffed into it. If your accountant goes, great, goody, I'll be in touch, that's your man or woman. Okay? Hi, Kim. Just a query on, um, on how I understood the way you presented facts just a moment ago. About 65% of people who retire are not worse off because they're at the bottom end. Yes either on benefit or they're low paid. However, you said that 40,000 to 70,000 earners would be instantly put into poverty. Now, obviously, what they're instantly put into is the same sort of level as the people who would not be worse <laughs> yeah, off. It's a relative so poverty. As far as I can <laughs> learn how to live on less. That's what I've done. Okay. You're dead right. It is, you're absolutely right, and the term should have been qualified. It's a relative yes. poverty. Relative poverty. So it is, people exactly who, it is people who feel, this is what I need, and we spend our income, so it's people who feel, this is what I need to live on, and I expect to live on half of that when I retire. Because most people have this 50% thing in their head, because it comes from occupational schemes. But in fact, they might only earn 12% of what they were on, or 15% of what they were on, because they didn't make out a good position. So it's, they're doing better than the pensioners who just move from one state system to another, who know how to budget and scrimp and save. And to me, there are they two classes of people worse. who budget brilliantly. One is pensioners on fixed incomes, and the other is teenagers, because they have to. They have a fixed income, or generous parents. Okay? I, I have a friend so who it's everybody preparing. else who doesn't. Yeah, I have a friend who began preparing for retirement about three years before, and part of her preparation was to already begin living on what she would be living on when That's she That's a super pension. idea. So she yeah. was very well prepared yeah. to know what it would be like. She sold yeah. her large house with a mortgage. She bought a house where the mortgage is paid, yeah. and um, she yeah. still has to, yeah. she can't go off and do everything she wants to do, but at the same time, she's in a position where she's actually she get much better off mm -hmm. than yeah. she would have been had she waited till she retired. Yeah. And people keep, like, if other financial it's products perfect. you're not going to have, like, we talked about mortgages. Your mortgage is more than likely, although not exclusively, going to be gone. Um, I advised a couple not too long ago um, who, they couldn't, like, they really were tight on their income. I really tight. They shouldn't have been, okay? And when I went through their, their things with them, and I don't do this because I'm not a financial advisor, I was a friend of a friend, um, I went through all their income and I found out that they were paying 140 euros a month for a life assurance policy. Now this is a couple in their early 70s. Mm -hmm. I said, what are you paying it for? And they said, well, it's life insurance. I said, no, I know, but why are you, why do you have it? Well, we always had it. Life assurance is a good thing, they said to me. I said, your children are adults with families of their own. To whom are you leaving this? And they were just aghast at the idea that, that they wouldn't have it and didn't need it. They actually couldn't believe it. And I said, stop paying it. Do you have enough to bury each other? Have you any outstanding loans? Stop paying it. So sometimes we need to unlearn the messages we've been taught about financial products as well. And they were 140 quid better off just by saying, stop paying it. Kids, you're on your own. Bury us. Wicker coffin. You know? So, so we get fixed ideas about finance, and we don't change them. Hi. I know absolutely nothing about pension systems. How do you work out how much you should be 
aiming for in terms of a pension? Because I'm thinking like you retire at 65, and life expectancy is like 80 something, yeah. then that's 20 something years of inflation. Or it's a very good question. You pitch your it's a very good question. And there are people who know lots about pensions who can't answer it for you. Um, and and I'm, I, I'm included in that. The answer is I don't know what you should be earning in retirement. What you should be earning in retirement is an amount where you feel that you would be comfortable living on. And that, all the information you have now is only about your current state of affairs. So if you're somebody who's earning X amount, you're, co you're okay, you're comfortable, you could probably do without the mortgage. You know, but, but if you could get rid of all your loans and all your, your um, kind of mortgage obligations, what would you have to live on? And is that okay? And if that's okay, that's what you should be aiming for. But that's in today's money. Yeah. So obviously there's an inflation thing and that'll be, that'll be in that money. So that's why people very often work off a percentage of salary because they've no better way of doing it. Um, so if you're earning 40,000 euros, but you're finding that 20,000 of that is just going out servicing debt and kids and all that kind of thing, well then what's left over is, is probably what you manage on in retirement. And then you take off the state portion. Again, you have to make some assumption of what that may or may not be uh, and your funding for the gap. I want to echo, I see that I've never been so um, fascinated by pensions in my entire life. Well done. My work is done. It's very funny as well. I was laughing, so I suddenly twig what you were saying earlier. So if I'm self-employed and I have this annuity to buy, I should take up smoking at 65. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking much more than I did before. Yes. And all these bad things and give up exercise. <laughs> I used to work. As someone who used to smoke 40 a day, it's seven grand a year this year that I have to Put it into your pension. Yeah. Uh, well, well, just a word on, a new, on that actually, because um, pension companies used to be, um, used to do individual annuities. In other words, you would rock up at 65 and say, here I am. They do a medical kind of thing, they'd, are you a smoker, male or female, and they'd give you an annuity rate dependent on all those factors. Indeed, if you go to an annuity company now, a pension company with a terminal illness, they'll very often pay you a much higher annuity because they know they'd pay it for less, with medical mm -hmm. evidence. So people can go and, and access higher pensions, higher annuities. It's not, sorry, it's even worse now than talking about pensions, but you can do that. You can do deals on it, where you can't do a deal, disgracefully is dependent on whether you're male or female. Because the EU gender rules that came in last year, which straightened out the bananas and made all the car insurance the same price, applies to annuities. Now, this would be good for women, because women get much lower annuity rates than men because they live longer. I have an actual friend who says that's because women aren't married to women. But they live longer, so they should get lower annuity rates. All things being equal, they should. They get, they get better insurance rates, they should get lower annuity rates. But because the new EU gender stuff, which came in last Christmas, uh, that no longer applies. Now, actuaries, who are a very cautious bunch of the best of times, instead of lengthening out the annuity rates for men, reduce them all. So they now assume everybody's going to live till 82. Mm -hmm. So that's partly why that annuity figure has dropped so much, the one I showed you over three years. It's not just because of interest rates. That would be another huge factor in it. They have to be careful. Mm. They assume everybody's going to live long. Well, you mentioned insurances. Yeah. Is there anything for professional equipment or loss of file, loss of computer files? Digital, digital insurance? Oh. I d I'm not an, I don't know. 
I mean, I, I only deal in the bread and butter stuff, so no, but you lost also, your computer, maybe. But but photographers, you know, get the, yeah. the gaffers done over and all the cameras. I don't know. Vanish. There are brokers who specialise in that kind of thing. I would definitely I would definitely talk to them. I don't know enough about it to know the answer to that. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, have we said anything about approved retirement funds? Yes. ARFs. Um, this was partly to deal with the problem with annuities. Um, because annuity rates are so low, I, I won't go into it now in a whole heap of detail because that'll take a whole thing in itself. But generally speaking, when somebody retired, they have to take out an annuity, as I mentioned here. And for the most part, that's exactly what still happens. For people who, for a time, were very wealthy or considered wealthy, they were allowed another option, which was to take what's called a an approved retirement fund. In other words, they could take their lump sum, their tax-free lump sum, and take all the rest of the money and take ownership of it. Now, they weren't allowed to spend it. They were allowed to take ownership of it and strip it off at their own pace throughout retirement. Now, you can immediately see the danger of stripping out too much or too little. So there was like a cap put of about 5% on it a year, okay? Um, anybody can avail of those now, pretty much. Well, some schemes don't still let you, but most schemes allow you avail of that. So this is for people working as employees in companies at PAYE. So you can take your tax free lump sum, commute the rest into this bond. The biggest advantage of it is that because you now have ownership, it doesn't die with you. So it can be, it can be passed on as a legacy, whereas an annuity dies with you. That's why annuities work, because the people who die at 67 are paying for the people who die at 103. Okay, but an ARF, you're taking it out and you're, you're not managing it yourself. You have to get a pension fund to manage it, but you're stripping off a set amount and you can use it for that purpose. Um, there's nothing wrong with them. They're an alternative. I think a bit of caution and advice has to be taken on them. The charges on them can be very high because you have to pay a fund to administer them. And you don't want to lose more in the charges than would actually provide a pension for you for life. So get advice is really what I'd say about those. They're a, they're a good option to have. You know, it's good that we have alternatives to annuities. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Few. Thanks. Thank well, you very uh, much for. Uh, <laughs>